on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They're speaking my language. Are they drunk? They're praising God. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, uh, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? But others in the crowd ridiculed them. They're just drunk, that's all. What a reaction to God's outpouring. Just a bunch of drunks. Well, before we get into Acts 2, I, I wanted to set this chapter up well. You know, Jesus, Jesus was born of a virgin. He grew up in Nazareth. He gathered his disciples he spent three years preaching a message that sounded something like this. Repent. Turn around. For the kingdom of God is here. I want you to know God's reign has arrived in power and authority. And I want you to live under the king. Then he taught more during these three years about the kingdom, and he healed the sick, and he gave life to the dead. He loved. He loved us so much that he went to a cross and died and shed his blood so mankind could have their debt canceled and have a relationship with God restored. Jesus spent about 40 days after his resurrection proving to his disciples that he was alive and taught them more about the kingdom and set them well or set them up well for the mission that God has given to them right before he returned to the Father. So in Acts chapter 2, Jesus is gone. He's been gone for about 10 days. There are 120 new believers living in Jerusalem who are gathered in a room literally above their living quarters. You know, at this time, their prayer meetings seem to have been going quite well. 
This group have had some great leadership discussions and even appointed one new leader. But, but, no spirit, no Holy Spirit. It's been over a week and still nothing. The scriptures tell us that Pentecost was coming. In fact, on this very day, it was celebrated, which meant that Jerusalem would be jammed. For a Jew, Pentecost meant an annual trip to Jerusalem to celebrate God's faithfulness in bringing a bountiful harvest. But they also celebrated and praised God for the law which was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. So if you can picture this, devout Jews from all over the world made this journey in order to celebrate. The city was overflowing. So the 120 waited. They waited for the Spirit because Jesus told them to wait. I'm sure the questions continued to mount as they waited They had been with Jesus. They had seen the crowd's response to Jesus. Yes, some had come to faith, but but so many rejected the Messiah. I'm sure they were thinking if the crowds rejected Christ's offer of life, what chance would they be to infiltrate this crowd? this crowd, to be able to be witnesses of Jesus and his resurrection. Although the group felt large, it wasn't so large among the multitudes. And if they looked around and were honest, there were only 120 who were gathered there. And this was even after Christ's resurrection ministry tour, trying to pump their tires. Their leadership seemed rather weak. After all, just weeks before, their main leader absolutely denied who Jesus was. And the future looked bleak. The task of reaching all these people, much less those beyond Jerusalem, was absolutely unfathomable. This was the reality for the first and the only church in the existence at moment. These were good people, folks who loved Jesus, but were sitting in a big room. Nothing we know has happened in or through them that would make a difference in their world over the last 50 days. Would the Spirit's arrival really make that big of a difference Well, the short answer is yes. It would make a huge difference. I'm going to try to describe today what happened in Acts chapter 2. It's an amazing story of God's grace. Then after we see what God did back then, I am so sure that God is going to teach us what it means for us today as individuals and as a church. But before we do that, let's pray.
Lord, we come recognizing that you are God. You are creator. You are omnipotent. You are omniscient. You are God. You created our world with the word of your mouth. You're involved in every one of our lives, which we can't understand. You love us. You pursue us. And Lord, you arranged something so very, very special about 2,000 years ago. None of the disciples there quite understood it, and, and we're still amazed at it, and, and why you would leave and deposit the Holy Spirit. How does this work? How do we do the mission that you've given us? But your plan is perfect, and and we're going to even see that today. So, God, we ask that you would open our eyes, that you would do something so very, very special in each one of our hearts today. We're so dependent on you. We know, God, that, well, the speaker can mess things up. Maybe the words don't always flow, but we ask, dear God, that your Holy Spirit would come and do a work today in and through us. We ask that, Father. Yeah, we also know, God, that even now in our congregation, there are people who are hurting. We've got the Cleveland and the Young family and the Ledford family. All of them over these past few weeks have lost a parent. And God, we rejoice in the peace that you're giving them and the future of those who have deceased. But God, we still know that there's a hurt in spite of mourning differently than those without hope mourn. So we pray you would comfort them. You would encourage them. We pray, dear Father, for all the other churches, not only in our neighborhood, but all over this country. God, we know that our country is going through some cataclysmic changes right now. We don't know what's going to happen this week. But we ask, dear God, that you would use your church to bring peace and your church to bring a calm and your church to make a change, whether it be this one or the one down the road. We pray, dear God, that you would strengthen your church, give them perspective that only comes from you. Give them the ability, Lord, to thank you for all circumstances and situations. Help us pray for leaders. Help us pray for past leaders. God, would you do a work in us and through us, even this week, a work that nobody would get credit for other than you. You're the only one that deserves the credit. So God, we thank you. 
we thank you for the time we can open up in Acts chapter 2. And we ask that you would use your word to ignite us, empower us, give us different perspective. Help us, Father, understand how special this was and how normal it can be for us today. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You know, Acts chapter 2 is a critical text, not only for us, but really for the church today. For me personally, I've heard so many messages. I've read so many books and studied so many hours. Yes, I shared with our team this morning, I'm nervous. I'm hopeful that I hear the Spirit in every way that I don't say something that would maybe go on a tangent that would not bring God glory. It's one of these things where, where Father, would, would you just get it right today? Would you help me proclaim a message that, that is so critical for us? Now, in some ways... Every time I open up the Word, that's my prayer. But Acts chapter 2 seems to be different. I am so grateful that God's Word is alive and that the Spirit is active. I'm so grateful for the preachers and the scholars who have gone before me and helped me better understand these Scriptures. Because these Words are so, so important. So let's open our Bibles, our flat screens, to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have one with you, you can follow along on the screen behind me. But we're going to start Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And I'm just reading the first two verses. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. We're going to stop there. All the believers, all 120, which we find a little bit later in the text, were in this one room, one place. And then suddenly, they'd been waiting, they'd been told to wait Jesus had been gone. It's been 10 days. They're sitting there. And suddenly, helps us understand the idea of surprise or something unexpected. A sound from heaven. But not like any just normal sound. A sound like a roaring of a mighty windstorm filled the room. Now, those who are linguists understand, not only in Hebrew and Greek, but so many other languages, but the word for spirit and the word for wind and the word for breath oftentimes are all the same word. And it's like that here. And so we know that there is this sound that's coming from above. I'd like to liken it perhaps to standing next to a 747 on takeoff. Not behind the jet engine, next to it. 
where the roar is so huge, you have to pay attention. It was extreme because we know people heard the noise on the outside and they came running in and said, what is going on? Well, God had arrived and was supernaturally breathing life into a church. We find actually in Genesis 2, the first time that God breathed life into a lifeless body. The scriptures tell us there that God formed man and breathed the breath of life into him. And he became alive. In John chapter 20, actually just weeks before this incident happened, in one of Jesus' post-resurrection visits, he breathes on his disciples and they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, as we mentioned a little bit last week, and and we're going to keep focusing on the Spirit as Acts does, but we know that before Acts 2, that the Spirit came on certain people and certain kings and certain leaders temporarily to accomplish a task, and then it left. Something's different when the Holy Spirit arrives in Acts chapter 2, and he changes it all. So yes, it was a temporary filling for the disciples, probably, in my opinion, preparing them for Pentecost. For this time, they would understand what this event was. I think the disciples would remember that sound and remember the experience. Now, in Acts chapter 2, God, God's breath comes from above and Christ breathes into a lifeless body. And in this case, the church, Christ's body. Now, the church in Acts chapter 2 was an organized body But it was a church without life, without impact, without fruit, and in some ways despairing. God infuses his life into the 120, and change happens. The body of Christ, the church, is alive, and it is apparent, and it's undeniable. Remember that. Look at verse 3. Then, after the wind, what looked like flames of, or or flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. Flames. A ball of fire comes into the room. And then, very systematically, all of a sudden, the fire separates. And it looks like it comes upon every individual in that room. Wind, now fire from above, that doesn't burn up what it touches. It reminds me of the same thing that happened in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses. So many of you remember that story, but in Moses' life, 
He was in the desert when a bush started burning. But the bush wasn't consumed. It caught Moses' interest, and he walked over to the bush. And as he approaches the burning bush, God speaks. Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Then God identifies himself and gives a message to Moses. He says something like this. You know, Moses, my people are suffering. My people are slaves. And I want you to go. And I want you to rescue my people. Moses immediately, as you look in Exodus chapter 3, protests. He doesn't want to go back to Egypt. He did not leave on such good terms. But God responds. And he says, Moses, I am is talking. I'm the God, the creator God, the God who's been in existence in all time. I am the all-powerful God, and I am will be with you. So now, get up and go. Now let me remind you, although Moses is a hero to many of us, Moses at this time was a believing man. But if we look at his life, at just about 80 years old, he really hadn't made much of a kingdom impact, to say the least. Early, he learned his faith from his family before growing up for 40 years in a privileged environment. In fact, the scriptures tell us that one who was planning to take high leadership in the Egyptian culture. He messed up, and he retreated. It ended up in a desert. Now, for about 40 years, life was quiet. He wasn't using many of his gifts, all the strategies that he had learned, all the education that he had received. He was just... A shepherd. A shepherd. Now, I'm sure he met with God during this time and that God was refining him. But all of a sudden, everything changed when the fire came. The burning bush. And fire all the way through Scripture signifies God's presence. When Moses was at Mount Sinai and received the law, God showed up in fire and in smoke. When he led the children of Israel through the desert, it was a pillar of fire at night. God had a message for Moses. He said, I have a job for you, Moses. Right now, you have created for you a rather self-absorbed life. I will be with you, Moses. I will live with you. And I want you to be the vehicle of my deliverance to my people. Get up and go. In some ways, I think Acts chapter 1 church is in the same spot. They're a group of believers, people of faith, but living behind closed doors. They're fearful in some ways of the future. They're feeling a little bit powerless, unqualified in the midst of multitudes. Then the fire comes. 
Fire from above and descends on everyone, which absolutely would shock them in the room. Why did it just descend on the disciples or the apostles or the other leaders? What is this? The fire goes to all 120 people. God is saying powerfully, I'm going to live in you, every one of you. I am going to take you out of your comfort zone so that you can be my vehicle of deliverance for all nations. You know, there is no coincidence that Pentecost focused on the giving of the law. These Jews remembered the story. These Jews understood that when God well, came down from the mountain on Sinai, there was this fire and this smoke. And at that time, absolutely scared the liver out of the Israel, Israelites. But this time, God came. The fire. His presence was there and descended on every one of the 120. God was breathing life into them and commissioning them to be witnesses. Just as he said just a little bit before in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Now what's so amazing is that God now equips his church for their mission. Look at verse 4. And everyone, and everyone, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Everyone present was filled with the Spirit. And because of the Spirit's enablement, giftedness, he, they, they began speaking in foreign languages. Now, to be quite honest, it would be the perfect time to be able to talk a little bit about the Spirit's baptism and the Spirit's filling And because we're in the book of Acts, we're going to go into that at another time. I just don't want you to miss right now what's happening here. And you may not even understand all that's happening. But let me say this, that the Spirit's arrival is undeniable. Before the Spirit came, these Galileans couldn't speak a foreign language. After the Spirit descended upon them, they could. You see, God had quite the plan, something only God could do and something only God could get the credit for. You see, again, devout Jews gathered from all over the known world. And now folks were hearing the kingdom message in their mother tongue from Galileans. The scriptures tell us that they were amazed and perplexed. All those in Jerusalem amazed and perplexed. Amazed at the message, I got to believe. The life-giving message that Jesus gave them in order to be able to proclaim it. So people who had been slaves to sin can now be emancipated and enter a relationship with the Almighty God. That is good news. 
But also, and this should encourage all of us so much, perplexed by the vehicle. Galileans, I'm not going to try to demean them too much, but, but their reputation was one of being uneducated and unrefined. They weren't the ones that would know the languages. They weren't. It was so clear that God was working in a group of ordinary people. You know, the Apostle Paul, many years later, understood that. And he shared in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, well, near the end of that chapter and going into chapter 2, that Paul thinks God uses ordinary people for a reason. Because what happens, he says, you know, my glory comes through. I am magnified so much when ordinary people just follow me. People are amazed when you talk about me. The Spirit gives you the words. And there's passion. And there's excitement. In fact, as you heard read in the very beginning, the disciples seemed that they were drunk. Now, I'm not assuming that everybody understands what a drunk person looks like. And in some ways, an intoxicated person responds differently depending on how much you have in you and the type of person you are. But it's undeniable that when you are drunk, when you're intoxicated, that you act differently. So many times you are uninhibited, and that's what gets you in trouble. So many times you are undeniably bold, That's what the early church looked like. This is crazy. You've never been this bold. You've never been uninhibited like this. You're going to everybody. You're sharing good news. There is something that's so different about you. Then Peter stands up and preaches. And there's a lot of sermons, I think, or messages from Peter, but I think this is his best one. This is the same person that weeks before absolutely denied he knew Jesus at all. What happened? Listen to this message. Listen to some of it. But, but this man who denied Jesus just weeks before speaks, and I would say it this way, with scary boldness. Scary boldness. Boldness way out of his comfort zone. Remember his audience as... Well, you listen to Peter preach. It's in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to be taking some verses from verse 14 all the way to verse 38. You can follow along on the screen behind me. This is Acts chapter 2 and Peter preaching. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. 
These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven, at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. What have we done? Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's words pierced their hearts. Something happened. I'm sure he had said these words before. I know he heard Jesus say these words. But there was, there was something about the Spirit of God that enabled him in this boldness and clarity. And people were listening. In fact, what should we do? Uh, how do we respond? We want to be part of this. He said, repent. You, you must change your thinking. You must change the way that you're going, the direction. You need to turn around and turn to God. And once you turn to God as your Savior, as the one who will change the life and the pathway that you're going, that your faith will save you. Once you turn to God, be baptized. Be baptized and receive God's gift available to everyone. You see the boldness right here? This same Holy Spirit is available to you today. It is so cool that baptism is part of the journey. Next week, we have at least two people who will be baptized here. You'll hear their testimony of God's grace. 
And they are being obedient because God desires deeply that we share our story. Maybe even now, some of you who haven't been baptized, some of you who are perhaps um, tentative for whatever the reason, maybe afterwards we could talk or you let us know. And we will happily walk you through. And you can be part of the celebration next week of those folks who are saying, you know what, I want everybody to know I'm following Jesus and my life is different. Now the scriptures tell us that 3,000 respond and were added to the church. Let me put that in perspective. 120 before Peter preached. 3,000 lives were changed. 3,000 stories of grace were now being able to be proclaimed. 3,000 people were dead in their trespasses and now alive and infused with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine their baptism service then? Can you even, the lines that would happen. What excitement. You see, when God does a work, no one can duplicate it or ignore it. When God does something miraculous, it's obvious. And no doubt remains. Now again, in God's perfect plan, although we're going to find out very shortly that God is going to send so many of the persecuted into all the world, well, there were already people there from every nation. And some of those, I'm sure, got saved. And some of those, after Pentecost, went home. And some of those were bold. And the message of Jesus was received. And the church spread. You know, on this miraculous day, God took a lifeless corpse and breathed life into it and then empowered and equipped this body. And his church began to advance the kingdom all over the world. I am so convinced that this is not just an amazing story. God did preserve this historical event and inspired us. There's no doubt. But the Holy Spirit still enters every believer at the time they come to faith and transforms them into new creations and breathes life into them. The Spirit still empowers every believer. 
The Spirit still gives supernaturally gifts to every son and daughter of God in order to miraculously move the kingdom of God forward in our whole planet. People still respond to God's message of grace and continue this cycle. And the exciting thing is, the message hasn't changed. God's plan is still the same. But the mission is unfinished. And for some reason, all of us are alive right now to be part of that. To be part of this unfinished mission of bringing the message of Jesus to everyone, to make disciples, and to give good news. You know, if we were to take a snapshot of the church today, would the photo be of the church at the end of Acts 1? Or would it be a photo of the church at the end of Acts 2. You see, there is no perfect church, and each church, each community, has blind spots and weak areas. The challenge of this message or a message like this is not to beat up anyone or any church or even our church. But it's to inspire and be transformed by his truth. There may be conviction. But more than that, there might be an excitement. A realization of what, God, you are doing. We are living in troubled times. And there's no doubt that we're here at this time. In order to be able to share hope. To tell others the good news and to point people to the only person that will make a difference in their lives, in their family, and in this country. We need to understand how the breath of God changes us. We need his fire to fall upon us. We need his power to take us from a life that contributes little to God's life-transforming mission to one of being faithful and fruitful, fruitful, representing God well in all of the life circumstances that God sends us each and every day. Now again... The Spirit indwells us at salvation. There is no doubt that when you come to faith, that God comes and lives in each one of you. And as we continue to share, how does this power remain? What does the filling of the Spirit look like? How is that done as we continue to look at Acts? But may God give each one of you 
boldness and help you find your voice and put you in a spot to point people to Jesus, our Savior and our King. The mission is unfinished and we get to be part of God's plan. Let's pray. Father, this is amazing. This is so cool. Lord, some of us have known you for a long time. Some of us came to faith as, as little kids and, and maybe have even forgotten what you living in us does. God, some of us may be running. But there are others, maybe even right now, Lord, that have never come to faith, have never realized that you died for them so that you might enjoy abundant life and eternal life so that your spirit might live in them and make a difference today in our world, in our neighborhood, in our church. Oh God, would you help us see clearly all that you have, all that you want to do God, we can't do that. We look outside these walls. We know that the crowds are huge. The problems are overwhelming. But God, you started with 120 people 2,000 years ago. And in less than about 30 years, the whole known world had heard your message of grace. God, my guess is there's a lot more people on the planet today. Yet I think there's probably a lot more believers on this planet too. Change us, Father. Help us walk with you. Give us God-anointed boldness. And may your church advance. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.